When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. An unexpected podcast tribute from US high school ice hockey. What did happen to Sky's Bill Leslie at Molyneux on Friday night? Why one club out of the 92 are stubbornly resisting the homogeneity of modern football? What is the threshold for celebrating like they've won the league? The unmentionables finally become mentionable. The one thing you probably shouldn't say to a Bundesliga-based Scottish coach. And the official Manager X's Team Y Premier League table. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 146 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry. With me first of all is David Walker. How's it going, Dave? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You and many listeners will remember fleeting Football Clichés cult hit segment Gets the Shot Away. Let's remind everyone of how that sounded. Federico Chiesa gets the shot away. Success once more. Gets the shot away. Yeah, we had great fun with this, didn't we, Dave? And then um, dropping into my inbox last week was uh, Bill Hupp, who says, uh, I'm an American sports commentator from St. Paul, Minnesota, and a loyal listener to the podcast, reaching out to share a little tribute to football cliches that I managed to sneak into a recent ice hockey playoff broadcast. This is from the Minnesota State High School League Section 7AA quarterfinal. Who's puck picked up by Anderson? He skates into the zone, drop pass for Penner, gets the shot away. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. What a lovely touch, Dave. Brilliant. Uh, That is tremendous. I suppose America's a really good place to be a commentator. Yeah. So high school, proper commentary on high school sports. Every level of sport apparently gets a commentator in America. They need to, yeah, we need to, um, we need to follow that lead. That's lovely. Um, Laying the gauntlet down there to all the, you know, any other commentators who are listening. Yeah. I want to hear more sports and more, yeah, I want to get as far away from football as possible with this and see how far it can go. But yeah, the the gauntlet has been laid down globally. Alongside you for the adjudication panel, this week is Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. Hello. Even in defeat, I feel like I need to be trying to tell you that the FA Cup has lost its luster. Well, it's lost its luster now, obviously. Oh, is it? Terrible thing that I uh, was never really interested in the first place. I thought it was a very luster-filled game, actually, last night. Very, very luster-filled, yeah. Yeah, and um, we got the kind of usual, slightly patronising... It's a good atmosphere at the city ground, isn't it? Yeah, it's a football ground, lads. Come on, it's it's a big game. Speaking of that, a couple of listeners got in touch, Nick, to say that... uh, 
some of the Forest fans were chanting, where's your famous atmosphere? <laughs> yes. To the travelling Liverpool fans, which I believe breaks the Geneva Convention of football chants and saying you cannot sing that to the travelling support. Yeah, I, I fear there were a number of um, quite unpleasant things that were being chanted by Forest fans at, uh, at the game yesterday, but that was um, that was certainly pointed out. And uh, while I would love to be able to defend my people, I simply can't on this occasion. And uh, that's just one of many crimes that will be addressed in the adjudication panel Today, let's kick off, uh, though, with a lovely moment from El Clasico. Perhaps one of the most straightforward pieces of anti-commentator's curse I've ever seen. Let's hear it. Watch out with Araujo in set pieces. Dembele's corner. Araujo gets there! Chappie for there! That's astonishing! It's 2-0 to Barcelona. Ronald Araujo! Nick, that must feel fantastic to just... It was business-like conversion of the uh, prediction there. Um, must feel great as a co-commentator. You've done your job there. My version of you trying to find the samples for Three Lions is I've been trying to find a, a, a piece of cricket commentary where Richie Benno very carefully explains why I've, uh, they've put a particular fielder in a particular place. And as he's talking, the ball goes up in the air and goes to that exact fielder. And Richie says... Just like that. <laughs> I very, very vividly remember it from my childhood, but I haven't been able to track it down. Oh, well, I'm sure we can help you out with that. Um, yeah. Well, we'll do our best anyway. Next up, more troubling scenes from Molyneux, Dave. Listener Samuel and many others simply wanted to know what happened to Sky commentator Bill Leslie after Leeds' equaliser against Wolves on Friday night. Let's hear what happened. Oh. And still they go Leeds oh. and they find a way through. Rodrigo! <laughs> We are getting into the territory of absolutely astonishing what is happening at Molyneux. Scenes! Look at them. Where's Bill Leslie? Bill? 2-2 after 66 minutes. Oh, it looked like they had two or three opportunities to get that goal. But initially, this pass here, you think Dan James is going to make it 2-2? What an effort it really was. But then there's just panic from Wolves. Then I thought it was going to be a penalty. And Connor Cody again finds himself on the line. And it's Rodrigo. A couple of opportunities. Oh, that's just pure panic, it really is. Rodrigo does really well, finish with the outside of the left foot. He can't believe it, the supporters can't believe it. And now the favourites to go on and get three points. And I bet you who else can't believe it. Those teams down the bottom fighting with Leeds. They probably thought this game was finished at half-time like the rest of us. It's not, as I said, it's game Bill? on. A He's little back. bit of housekeeping for you. There was a check going on for that challenge on Stuart Dallas. Jared Gillett in the VAR hub has had a look at that. That has been cleared. So, I don't know what happened to Bill Leslie there. And the moment I got concerned, Dave, the moment every everybody seemed to get concerned, was uh, when Carragher started talking about the score and the time. Not your job! <laughs> no. What are you doing? Very glad that Bill was able to rejoin us in full health. Because, you know, you think, what's happened to him? Is he, is he had a funny turn or something? But um, no, what I mean, do, and we haven't had any any explanation or anything, have we? Well, I asked Jamie Carragher. I said, "What happened to 
builders? Did he fall off the gantry? Did he just go for a pierce? What happened? You know, it was 90 seconds in the end of, of Bill Leslie-less audio, Nick. So, uh, so I asked Carragher, who basically said he got carried away. I just, I just threw the score in. He said, it won't happen again. Good. Good to know that they respond to feedback. Oh, right. So it's just Carragher taking the reins and going yeah. for it. Yes. So it's a, it was like Bill Leslie doing that thing that Clive Tilsey did after the, in the uh, 99 European Cup final where he just let the moment breathe kind of thing. <laughs> I did quite like how uh, he, Leslie, it sounded like he was aware that he'd gone quiet for a little while and then almost tried to style it out because he said something, he came back in with just a, an update from the, you know, for VAR, like he'd nipped down to yes, the well, VAR cave exactly or something. Like. Yeah, like I've just, I've, lads, I've been, I'm sorry I've been away, I've just been to check. And it's fine. It's a goal. I mean, we're all very well versed, Dave, in the in the art of letting a game breathe. But it doesn't happen on Friday nights on Sky. The rules go out the window. We all know this now. <laughs> it does. It does. But yeah, because Carragher wasn't doing, as you say, wasn't really doing the sort of standard co-commentary things. He, he, he was he was describing as much as he was analysing mm. there. Which that very much made it feel like Jamie, just Jamie, just take over, just keep going, mate. We'll let as you know when Bill's back. kicking. It's Carragher's job, right? I mean, that yeah. that's fine. But then he went on so long. I thought, what's happened to Bill Leslie? Where's Bill Leslie? Mm. <laughs> Bring back Bill Leslie. Troubling, very troubling. But yeah, as I say, Friday night, no rules. But uh, hopefully, Carragher's learned his lesson. Next up, I have a nationwide scandal to bring you both and to the listening nation. It was brought to my attention by Tom Ayres. And uh, on the back of this allegation, I went on YouTube and I checked all 92 league clubs to make sure this was the case. And he is correct. He asks, are Leighton Orient the only team in the 92 not to have box goal nets? Are those the only stanchions left in the league? It pains me if so. Well, Tom Ayres and everybody, I can confirm that is correct. I went and watched... YouTube highlights of all 92 league clubs in their home games recently, and they all have box goal nets attached to poles behind the goal nick, except for Leighton Orient. And there's no reason it would seem for it. Not even that they just wanted to wanted to stand out for anyone that did go through all 92 league clubs and watch the watch highlights of their club, which you know I imagine is quite an exclusive club. But seems an odd piece of marketing to me. Describe the their their setup to us. It's like we're talking sort of late 80s, early 90s setup. Um, standard goalposts with the kind of U-shaped stanchion that sticks out the back and nets just dangling from it mm. at the back. No so, so, taut suspension going on whatsoever. We're talking sort of 90s Molyneux kind of vibe. Yeah, we? yeah. yeah. Conceivably, the ball could get stuck in the stanchion. Oh. Dave, is this a national scandal? It's certainly a curiosity. I, I, I've been to um, Brisbane Road mm. this season, saw them play Swindon just before Christmas, which I think was possibly the last time they won at home, actually. And the, the, the nets did stand out to me. They were ple- they're pleasingly old school. Like it was nice just to watch them being peppered with shots in the warm up, and yeah, it, th- there's a little bit of the of the Dell about yeah. the about the Nets, I think, from mm. Southampton back in the '90s as well. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I mean, hats off to you for watching all mm. <laughs> highlights from all '92. How long did that take you? I, every single time I watched one and, and saw that they had the the modern box net 
supported by two poles. I sort of ticked it off gleefully, knowing that we were closer, closer to uh, isolating late in Orient. But actually, now, Nick, the more I think about it, the less I want to ironically um, accuse them of something. Uh, I'm more concerned about the fact that 91 league clubs ha- all have generic goal nets now. That's it's a bit of a shame, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it smacks of some kind of directive that, um, yeah. that late in Orient are just rebelling against. I don't like know. The Taylor the, Report. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. For, um, for the aesthetic safety of uh, everyone involved. And, do you know, you know, there are so many different types of stadiums, so many sort of tightness of pitch perimeters. Dave, if you thought that Brisbane Road being a bit like the Dell in some respects is some sort of defence, it's not. Some clubs have their poles situated behind the advertising hoardings, for example. Mm. This isn't a pitch perimeter area threshold that needs to be met. Leighton Orient are doing this deliberately. They are, yeah. they are the last outliers. Absolutely. I, I think there is room. The, the, it, the, mm. the, the stands are not tight to the to the back of the goal um, at Brisbane Road at all. So, yeah, this very much seems to be a, a choice of the hierarchy there. And I, for one, am all for it. Well, I mean, you know, so many people are probably used to the surface level investigation capabilities of the Football Clichés podcast. You know, I chased Carrigo about Bill Leslie and I chased Leighton Orient about this too. A club official says, and I quote, the stanchions allow us to fall back on a stanchion bonus for our strikers as a last resort in times when home goals are hard to come by. With the O's having not hit the back of the net at home for over 22 hours of league football, new head coach Richie Willens reinstated the bonus upon his arrival. Orient has scored five goals in two home games since. Nick, they're not taking me seriously. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a really sober club statement, and I didn't get one. Carragher gave you a, a, a solemn, serious answer, and you're just being taken for a fall by Orient here. I yeah. wouldn't stand for it. Piss takers, Dave. You should follow up. Say, yeah. uh, no, I, I actually, I do want an answer here, please. <laughs> this is going to end with me on the front of a local newspaper, pointing at the stanchion with a very straight, <laughs> you know, really. Not unsatisfied look on my face, going, "What is? Yeah, yeah." It's I mean, face in lieu of um, you know, thanks to Leighton Orient for attempting to get into the spirit of things and giving us that answer. But um, in lieu of a serious answer, have it, they always been like that? They just never changed them. I suppose it's a conscious thing that you must want to do. I mean, it, it doesn't break any rules because it, it would be weird if defying. If 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 next week you turned up at the Emirates. And the goals were like that, you know. Then and somebody just draped a yard yeah, behind the line. Yeah, oh. someone's made the choice to change them from the box to the old school. But if it's just always been like that, maybe they just think, well, they don't need to change them. Doing their job. Do you know it's what? The only, the only thing I could think of, Nick, it might be some sort of urban myth type situation. You know, uh, the thing that went round that saying if you've won the FA Cup, you can have certain colour corner flags or something. I thought it might be something to do with that. Like Leighton Orient are the only team called Orient, so they don't have to have. They're the only ones who are allowed to have stanchions these days. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Well, I'm sort of slightly concerned about this. Another thing that went around when Leicester qualified for the Champions League: the the number of regulations that you have to adhere to when you play in a UEFA competition. So if Leighton Orient ever you know qualify for one of those competitions, I have to change them. Yeah, UEFA are not going to be happy with this. No. And do you know what, Dave? I went even further. I went and watched the YouTube highlights of the National League. All 23 clubs in the National League. And 21 of them have got box nets too. So this isn't difficult. This isn't a budget situation. Only Wealdstone and Maidenhead have defied the rules or apparent rules as well. So those three clubs shamed. It makes it really hard to do those, you know, those online quizzes when it's like identify the ground from a picture of the goal, of an empty goal net or whatever. And part of that identification was knowing roughly kind of what each club style would be in terms of their goal nets exactly 
and yeah, yeah, he's, you know, I just yeah, uniformity in general terms should be avoided at yeah. all costs when it comes I agree. to these I agree. things. I agree. So actually, we, yeah, we've we've performed some sort of U-turn here. I think Leighton Orient, <laughs> Wealdston, Maidenhead, pioneers against the homogeneity of modern football. Long may that continue. Let them off I'd the be, hook. I'd be delighted if Forest Forest always used to have very taut red nets and I'd be absolutely delighted if they suddenly I, just one one day kind of brought them back I'm quite against red nets I hate I, Liverpool had it for a while didn't they like they had it they had the red nets quite recently was it in that season when they nearly won the league under Rodgers and I just, no it doesn't look good like there was a black net City had black yeah, nets yeah there was a brief kind of UEFA approved period of black goal nets and aesthetically awful and the idea was apparently that it, it would make it easier for fans behind the goal to see through and not interrupt their vision fuck that <laughs> ridiculous there's people plenty think, of space to look through there's like 50 holes at least probably pe- more people think far too much about the match going fan these days don't they what would a goal net with only 50 holes look like <laughs> what's next translucent goalkeepers what he's too big is he my way tough Jesus Christ yeah, I'll do my math better on the uh, goal holes next day. <laughs> um, next up in modern football dilemmas, this has reared its ugly head again, Dave. Arsenal have been celebrating as if they've won the league at a uh, Midlands-ish opposition. They didn't like it. Hot on the heels of Ruben Never saying, we saw the way they celebrated the win and that shows the level we are. I didn't see Arsenal celebrating like this in the past 10 years. It was like they won the league. Ashley Young followed up at Villa Park by saying, you saw the way they celebrated. To be honest, it was like they won the league. What's going on here? I mean, what I would say is, Dave, I don't want to get into a moral debate about this. Obviously, it's fine to celebrate wins, but let's get in. Let's get stuck into this on a technical level. What does it mean to celebrate like you've won the league and what's happening? I don't think they did celebrate like they'd won the league because if you win the league, like the entire coaching staff are going to run off the bench. You might you might get some fans on the pitch. Yeah. Champagne, beer, ticker tape, scarves, kids on the pitch, all these things, selfies, phones would be out recording mm. stuff. Mm. Like and they just obviously they celebrated very um effusively because they won a big game. The bit I always quite like about the celebrating while having actually won the league thing is players kind of running in different directions. I imagine they're looking for their best mate in the team to to hug first and then like someone who they uh, I imagine them being really disappointed if it's like someone who they know a bit they don't really not really that keen on them <laughs> comes up and grabs them and they have to kind of go oh okay well I, I actually pictured the title winning moment slightly mm. different as I probably pictured sharing it with my dear friend but um, you, you'll have yeah. to do get out the way Lenny Pidgeley <laughs> <laughs> no, well Nick you're definitely onto something here because even even after even like a big goal when when you see a player sort of brushing off one teammate and then embracing another you think that that really does blow open the cliques of this dressing room doesn't it that <laughs> it makes me rather disheartened for that poor abandoned soul but um Okay, so okay, Dave has taken this quite literally, as he so often does. Uh, and he says that Arsenal didn't celebrate like they won the league because of all these very important elements that didn't take place. But, Nick, it's very important that we do establish this threshold at which point certain people think that teams are celebrating like they've won the league. So I offer you these things that must that, that set off the alarm bells. Teams that congratulate their goalkeeper straight away, like run over to them, as, as if they, you know, it really kind of rams home the kind of we needed to win this of it secondly anybody who jumps after the final whistle in celebration that seems to me to be like that's enough to set off the alarm bells but maybe I'm asking this the question the wrong around Nick what should you do after a routine 
Premier League win, what should take place? Satisfied fist pump, perhaps, perhaps a, a you know a, a, a brief embraces. But I, I think you have to be a, a lot more kind of inclusive about it and go round, you know, go around the whole team. Do the cool guy handshake. Yeah. Certainly, if you if you're away, then you go over to your you know to go over to your fans and you know. Mm-hmm. You, you can do a little bit of chest thumping, perhaps, if it's... If it's you know. an away win, hard for, I would allow it. Let, I mean, let's get into the detail here. Nick says fist pumps, Dave. I think a, a tight fist pump close to your body, that's okay. That, to me, says job done. We go again. But if you're punching the air, that seems to me very trophy-ish. So you've yeah. got to be careful. I think there's an element of you know it when you see it. And I just think I think this reputation has somehow stuck to Arsenal yeah. for, for the last few years. I think did it start with that Leicester when they beat Leicester in the season that Leicester went on to win the league? Because Arsenal thought they perhaps were actually going to win the league as a result of that result. I think the dressing room does, does that come into play? Like if they're particularly noisy in the dressing room, well, if they take a big team photo like Newcastle do. Newcastle yeah. are technically celebrating like they've won the league every yeah. single week. So yeah, yeah, they need to stop doing that. But okay, so we've established the technical aspects of this. But Nick, what's the what's the moral background to this? What's the objection? I mean, because some could say, oh, it's it's arrogant. But if anything, it's probably humble, isn't it? It's saying that you know we were we were really happy to win this what looks like a quite a routine game. If anything, it's it's quite nice of Arsenal to be celebrating like that, surely. Yeah, if you um, if you mean it like presumably Ruben Neves meant it, which was kind of you know, well, yeah, this is this is how far we've come that they yeah, were, there's they that are, aspect to it, know. yeah, definitely, but. I, yeah, I don't really understand the objection when it's Ashley Young just being a bit chippy about it. Yeah, just that's kind what of, it came across. Um, it didn't stop there, though, because this was a uh, former Villa striker, Gabriel Agbonlahor, on Talk Sport, ratcheting it up an- another notch. Well, the way they celebrated um, at the end of the game, it's like they'd won the Champions League, <laughs> qualified for it. I, I know that's it was just a, sour a, grapes. I, I know it was a great result, but... The, the the scene from the players and you know we were right behind the fans. It was like they'd won the league, not beating Aston Villa, a team that they should be beating. So um, I think they overdone the celebrations, Arsenal. Whilst we try and navigate this philosophical minefield of whether it's okay to celebrate like you've won the league, Dave, I'm also. I was like, this is more of an open and shut case. In the, in the era of optics, it's never going to be a good look to complain about how the other team is celebrating. It's never, it's never going to go down well. How, how is anyone ever going to receive this well? It's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the clip we just watched from Friday night, no one says that about Leeds when their players are literally jumping into the crowd. They've celebrated like they've <laughs> achieved an, an extra £2.5 million prize money by finishing <laughs> in place higher than they thought they would. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's only, this thing is only ever said about, you know, your big teams, your, your arsenals and, and, and is so Is it on. only ever said about Arsenal? I, I can't well, remember anything be. being said about anyone else. Far um, be it from me to find myself in the position of defending Arsenal supporters, which is not something I particularly enjoy doing. But I think on this occasion, for once, they may have a, ca- there might actually be an agenda <laughs> I think it might be well, if it happens one more time then we know we're on to something but I re- I'd like to think they're now questioning the way they react to things but I, yeah I think when the goalkeeper becomes the centrepiece as Bernd Leno was at Villa Park then I, I think it becomes too much in certain people's eyes not mine but that's what I'm saying we do need to set the threshold here and I think we've found it. All right, next up, a potentially complex concept, but we're going to explore it nonetheless. In response to a tweet from one of the Athletics uh, reporters, uh, one listener challenged me to put together a league table of the acceptability to refer to each Premier League club by Manager X's Team Y construct. 
So I put together a league table of this. I'm going to go from the bottom up of how acceptable it is to refer to teams like this. Okay. And then we may dig into the criteria of how we how we so, establish this sort of for, thing. For example, like Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Exactly. What perhaps, we're the, about but the perhaps the league classic version. modern example, Frank Lampard's Derby County. Maybe it's a yeah. Derby thing, Nick. The crucial combination of famous manager and not quite so famous team. Yeah. Okay, this is a good starting point. We've basically got this idea of manager overriding club in a narrative sense, if not a historical sense. But let's start at the bottom of my um, carefully thought out Premier League table. At the bottom, funnily enough, Dave, I've got Roy Hodgson's Watford. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem to fit for me. I feel no, like it's a combination no. of, of them being roughly of the same stature. Um, he hasn't really stamped his, or his kind of identity on them. Has he? And he won't be there for long, so it's not a That's project. That's the problem. I don't think any Watford manager, you couldn't you couldn't have called it Claudio Ranieri's Watford, no. Cisco Munoz's Watford, no. etc. Because they struggle to sort of take hold even within the Watford consciousness, let alone the wider footballing consciousness. So that is that is completely um, completely fine. To complete the relegation zone, Nick, two potentially controversial choices, Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United and Jesse Marsh's Leeds. My thoughts here, Rangnick doesn't seem to have the kind of force of personality you know to, to really achieve this and Jesse Marsh hasn't really been there long enough as much of an impact as he has made I don't feel like he possesses leads yet it's still Marcello Bielsa's yeah, leads isn't it absolutely <laughs> yeah He's going. Marshall basically have to qualify for the Champions League for it to be uh, Jesse mm. Marsh's Leeds United, okay. I think. And and Rani, similar concept to Watford. Rannick is quite literally an interim, like temporary manager. I don't think there's any manager that could kind of go to Manchester United and qualify for this. I don't think. Mm. Maybe they're just too big a club to be mm. owned by a manager's personality. So that's, that's that's a very good point. Maybe they do belong. Did you so, hear it though? With like. Did we say Jose Mourinho and Jose Mourinho's Manchester United? Jose Mourinho's Manchester Louis United. Louis van Gaal's Manchester United. Louis van Gaal's maybe, maybe. But as soon as you start using it in retrospect, as in like years gone by, then it's disqualified. That's not yeah, what we're yeah, looking yeah, for yeah. here. We're looking for current usage, the yeah. predominant usage when you're talking about that team. So in this mid-table, I've got Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace, which may move up the table the more he... Uh... I think it is, yeah. I, oh, mean, yeah, I think it is. Increasingly becoming so. Okay. I think it qualifies, but by the the Lampard Rooney's Derby County criteria, not you know very obviously very famous player, not quite so famous club. I think I think Palace qualifies. Off you a couple more names for my mid table: uh, Brendan Rodgers, Leicester; Eddie Howe's Newcastle. Maybe the once we've established the kind of stature of both parties, Nick. Maybe the the next driving force is: has that manager moulded this team in his philosophy? Have they? bought into his playing style. So maybe that's the next thing we need to think about. And and this is where it will get a little bit tricky. On that point, is there a correlation between the likelihood of, of mentioning a club in this way and their current success? I don't feel... I feel like when Leicester and Southampton are doing well, mm. you, off, you, you will hear it talked about in those ways. Brendan Rodgers, Leicester, yeah. up next for Manchester City... But when they're when Southampton are losing nine nil or whatever, it doesn't seem to be mentioned in the same way. Yeah, it's 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 quite a flattering thing to do. I think I think you might be right. Anyway, here's here's my top six. Sean Dyche's Burnley at six. Yeah, I mean a solid perennial. I think perhaps even kind of success proof as well, Dave. I don't think it really matters. He's well, so Burnley, isn't he now? Yeah, and and Mr. Burnley. And also, they are stylistically so su- such an outlier in the Premier League, yeah. and that is predominantly because of his philosophy Agreed. or lack thereof. I and I, 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 I mean, I, I would have put I would have put them at number one personally because it, 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 
there's, there's an element of like when a club not only their style of play but this could have taken on their personality as well Sam Allardyce is Bolton Arsene Wenger's Arsenal etc and so on maybe they do belong a bit higher maybe you're right um, next up I'm going to introduce a little bit of recency bias because I think managers who have just arrived and shaken things up deserve to be included here and considered here Antonio Conte's Tottenham will be number five. I'd have them a bit lower, personally. But Okay, okay. Into the Champions League places. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, mm-hmm. number three. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. And yep. I actually do think the second mention for Liverpool is now Jurgen Klopp's side. It's, it's so frequently used because they are so him. At number two, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. Yep. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. What... what, what? I'm questioning it too. I don't know why they're number two. I've got no no way of it. <laughs> no, I think so. But I because it's 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 exactly the same. It is you know it is literally the equivalent of of Frank Lampard's Derby County. Like it's they they are of the same type. They're the same profile. Even though Aston Villa are obviously a much Recent bigger club well. than, than Derby, they they're not. You know they've had a few sort of middling years. Gerard's bigger than the club. I think I think you, you hear that said a lot. Top six, very competitive here. But uh, number one was pretty easy for me, Nick. Graham Potter's Brighton. Yeah, two and one for me would have been uh, Potter's Brighton and Dyche's Burnley. But yeah, I can't... It, it was a cigarette paper between them. I can't, I can't, uh, mm. can't fault that. No mention for Pep. Yeah, I put them at nine. Pep Guardiola's Pep. Manchester City. Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. But you kind of think that... that this I know, city I know, side I under Pep. Yeah... I know Guardiola is obviously such a huge part of this, but you sort of think of City as this kind of relentless winning football machine yeah. that will just kind of they'll get rid of Guardiola and they'll bring in someone else to be the face of it or whatever. So no, yeah. I agree. I do. Yeah, I do. I I think, and I think Pep sort of dwarfs it. Like Pep often is talked about as if he is the team. More on him later and his yeah. in his very specific way that we say his name. Uh, yeah, Watford aside, this was very much a division where anyone could beat anyone. So uh, you could say it was a futile exercise, but it wasn't. Graham Potter's Brighton are the champions of the Manager X's Team Y Premier League. Congratulations <laughs> to them. Hope they're celebrating appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, um, next up, sensational scenes from Major League Soccer, Dave. Orlando goalkeeper Pedro Galassi keeping a clean sheet against LA Galaxy. But one save where he foiled one attempt at an equaliser. Saw him take one in the... Uh, well, <laughs> it's a sore one, shall we say. I say stay down. You would too, Chris. Yeah. Hit him in the penis. <laughs> now, I didn't include this for any puerile reason, 
This is a triumphant <laughs> moment in football commentary. Finally, someone has mentioned the unmentionables, Dave. It's a thing. <laughs> Good. Dimensionables. Good. Finally. Yeah, can he be sure, though? Could it have been the testicles? <laughs> or just one testicle. That's, that's often yeah. the most, uh, the oh, most painful. Yeah. Exactly. The glancing blow to one of them. Pandora's box is open and the can of worms are out. We can now say penis during the live broadcast of a football game. It's absolutely fine. You don't have to dance around it. It's a part of the body. And yeah, just go ahead. So well done, America. Thank you very much for that, at least. Next up, Sean Murphy asked this question, Nick, apropos of nothing. Powder Puff, he says, has had a silent death over the past decade, with Mark Lawrence and seemingly its last employer. But what exactly is Powder Puff? What do we think? What In what specific football scenario are we using Powder Puff, or have we historically used it? I think there are probably two, two ways, and they could be connected. One is just a, a kind of physical weakness, knocked off the ball easily, doesn't go in for tackles, that kind of thing. But kind of more broadly, just a defence that is very easily breached, uh, and those two things can kind of work in conjunction as well I suppose but that that that, that would be that would be the, the broad definition for me I think interesting you think that that would be my instinct at first Dave is to say like a team who aren't winning their tackles aren't winning mm. their battles and a bit porous in defence as well as, as a direct result of that. But I think it's quite an even-handed thing because you can use it in kind of attacking situations as well. They, you know, they haven't got much they haven't got much punch to them. They are a powder puff attack. Sort of lots of lots of um looking like good footballers but not making an impact. So I think powder puff works for that as well, doesn't it? I sort of had an instinct just thinking about it of could we have ever heard it used in the context of a shot? Like a really powder weak, puff shot. weak effort. A powder puff shot has to be from, I'm going to say, at least 25 yards, and it has to sort of dribble through, and the goalkeeper has a long time to to kind of just collect it. Yeah, sort of cutting in from the wing, yeah, shaping up for a big emphatic effort, and sort of maybe not, and it's sort of, yeah, dribbling towards the near post that the goalkeeper collects. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, powder puff effort. But I, I do wonder, Nick, if if indeed Powder Puff has faded from view, I wonder if its spiritual successor is Tippy Tappy, <laughs> as used by Reading manager Paul Ince recently, who said, uh, I've told the players, forget all the Tippy Tappy crap you've been doing for the last few <laughs> years. It's not working. I think Tippy Tappy could be the spiritual successor to Powder Puff in at least one form. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's the, the same sort of kind of hint at lack of like physical prowess or something like that. You're mm. relying on this kind of fancy, frankly, feminine sounding concept of passing rather than getting stuck in. Also, I don't think Paul Ince has been ne- necessarily been watching Reading much in the last couple of years if he thinks they've been Tippy Tappy. Think about Tippy Tappy. Dave, is that it works so well as the concept that someone might be describing that I feel like it should predate Tiki Taka. But yeah. no one's ever dug into this. Was it a direct response to Tiki Taka? It sounds like it probably was. Tiki Tappy. Someone probably sort of thought that was the way to say it, what, and then it got what does, caught on. What does Tiki Taka actually mean? We all know what it means, but I don't know what the actual words. What is there a translation? They're not tippy tappy. It can't be surely, but it sort of does translate to that but one is used as a as a thing that's a style like you could actually like play as that style on like football manager and stuff you can't pick tippy tappy on football manager i'm on the etymology subsection of the wikipedia page for tiki taka and it says the late spanish broadcaster andres montez is generally credited with coining and popularizing the phrase during the 2006 world cup so right. as recent as that tiki taka i imagine it's probably i i'm i'm speculating here nick it's probably some sort of onomatopoeic 
usage. Mm. It's probably a Spanish equivalent of tippy tappy, isn't it? But I, th- I wonder I th- which came first. I think that's exactly right. But it's interesting that it predates Pep because mm. that's tiki taka is very much associated with his Guardiola, yeah. his his Barcelona team. Mm. So, mm. but in English terms, yeah, we we just wouldn't. I mean, obviously, there would be some teams that used to play Alan Hansen. We just call it getting get the yeah, ball down yeah, and playing, yeah, don't yeah, we, yeah. Dave? All that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pete Reedy used to play tiki taka with the Everton midfield or whatever. But really. Nobody played Tiki Taka or Tippy Tappy in England into the levels that they do now before the modern era of Pep and all that lot. So it makes sense that Tiki Taka came first. It's probably for the best that Powder Puff has faded from view. It does feel quite a questionable thing to say. So let's move on. Scenes here from the Bundesliga. Hertha Berlin assistant coach Mark Fotheringham stepped in to uh, take over from uh, Felix Magath, recently appointed, but who had tested positive for covid before Hertha Berlin's 3-0 win over Hoffenheim. Um, So Fotheringham was on press conference duties afterwards and uh, fielded this question. And if you have no grasp of German, trust me, it doesn't matter. Haben Sie diese Mannschaft so fokussiert bekommen in den letzten Tagen? Was haben Sie, ich weiß nicht, haben Sie der Mannschaft Braveheart gezeigt? Oder? Ja, das, das, ist, das ist kein Spaß, das, was du sagst, da wegen Braveheart und so. Ich bin ein schwieriges äh, junger Trainer. Ich habe viel gelernt und äh, das, ich weiß nicht, was du meinst mit das, mit Braveheart und so. Was ist das? Even in another language, in a Scottish accent, the disdain for being asked about Braveheart comes through loud and clear. It's great. Absolutely. I love this. Really good. I don't think I've ever really heard it before, but German in a Scottish it's accent wonderful. is is a particularly nice thing to hear. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really work for the uh, uh, audio medium of the podcast, but there was a it, just it, seek the clip out because you can see the exact moment that the light goes out of his eyes when yeah. the when Braveheart is mentioned to go yeah. off oh, this shit again. The glare that he gets. In fact, it was a little bit reminiscent. Nick of, of Harry Redknapp being described as a wheeler dealer is a bit like no, no, I'm not having this actually. Yeah. Bundesliga commentator Derek Ray translated the exchange for us. This was the answer that Fotheringham gave. He said, "That's not funny what you're saying about Braveheart. I'm a serious young coach. I've learned a lot. I don't know what you mean by that about Braveheart and so on. What's that all about?" So yeah, <laughs> just just the right level of aggression, I think. I'm now very happy that I technically know what the German for "What's that all about?" is. Mm, simply yeah. was ist das. Um, but yeah, don't mess with Mark Fotheringham is the, is the lesson here, generally, isn't it, Dave? Yes, agreed. Next up, this is from James Morgan, who he says stumbled across an interview on Gillingham's official website back in January with this headline, Phillips, we need to pick ourselves up. Okay, so looks like a fairly standard rallying cry for one of their players. This is how the um, this is how the piece began. Midfielder says the two upcoming home games are huge as Jills look to edge closer to League One safety. On loan Watford workhorse, Daniel <laughs> Phillips is confident that victory is just around the corner as Gillingham approached two home games in the space of four days. Dave, are we happy with a club's website describing its own player as a workhorse? Because James Morgan says, while the workhorse type player has its place, surely the term also has some pejorative connotations that mean it's probably not one to use about one of your own players and a young loney at that. Mm, yeah, what? One, it's one step away from cart horse, isn't it? I suppose. <laughs> Which is definitely not a good thing. Well, I don't know though. Like okay. a workhorse, a workhorse midfielder is a good quality to have if you've got the right other ingredients in that midfield. Being someone that does all the dirty work and tirelessly work, ty- you know, tireless. He's there all day. But this is the thing, though. I think you, you can you can convey the same uh, description just with a with slightly different language. <laughs> tireless, hard running. I think would work. Workhorse, as the um, 
the listener implied suggests that he can't trap the ball to save his life, but he, he runs quite a lot, which you don't. I mean, may may well be true, but you don't necessarily want to get pegged with that for, uh, for you, by your own club, anyway. I'm torn here. Dave's made a very good case, but I, I do feel it's slightly to the negative side of neutral, I have to say. On the other hand, if you think of a traditional workhorse in its literal form, they're noble creatures, well-respected. <laughs> they were worked to death. Let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush, but they were respected. Yeah. Um, uh. uh. We buried him where he lay. Better than those tippy-tappy equestrian horses. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I can't think of a good alternative. Workhorse, you know, as a noun, I'm just trying to think of a... Enforcer wouldn't be the same. doesn't imply the industry. But it does remind me of winning the Utility Man of the Year award in my under-13s team. <laughs> and I remember mm. taking that as a student of the language of football, very personally indeed. Yeah, so, uh, but I yeah. See, I, yeah I, that is a good point. I see what you mean. But yeah, noble, but maybe there could have been a better word from your own employers. Let's put it that way. Next up, we thought we'd seen the back of him. Professor Sir Jonathan Van Tam is back. He's at Boston United, of course, and he's taking Sir Chris Whitty with him. Yes, indeed. Van Tam invited Whitty and some other Department of Health colleagues to Boston's 1-0 defeat to Gateshead on Saturday. Um, the BBC caught up with uh, Whitty and here's what they had to say. And do you know what? Before we listen to this clip... I got a strong sense that they were trying to elicit a fumma sins out of him at hmm. least three occasions here. And, and Chris, are you a football fan or...? Uh, not as much as John at JVT. <laughs> I, I heard about Boston every single Monday morning, so I feel I already know it better than almost anyone in the, in the country that isn't already here. So really, so every time in the morning, every, every Monday morning, you'd have to have the Boston United conversation, yeah. and, uh, and And it was, it was great, and I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah. And uh, the whole team's here, and we're all really looking forward to it. Uh, do you have a, a team, or you, do you follow football, or is it not really your thing? I, I, I do follow football, but I don't, I don't have a team in the same way that JVT. BT does. <laughs> Very diplomatic about the about the fact that he was probably bored to death about Boston United every single Monday for two and a half years, Dave. There was an opportunity there as well to say, I don't actually follow football, but I'm more of a rugby man for my sins. Oh, yeah. Is, it, did we get that sense? Is that the sense we got? I really liked how he started to say Jonathan and then thought, I'm at the football, I'm with the lads. JVT. <laughs> yeah. He knows the brand. He yeah. knows the brand. Was this JVT's leaving do? <laughs> funnily enough yeah previously in that interview they asked JVT whether this was kind of his official leaving to he says well it's one of them so uh, okay. yeah uh, the, the clinking of cutlery you may have heard in the back there was was telling they were in the posh seats as well Not yeah. in, he didn't take them into the uh into the, with, with the Boston United Ultras, they were there in the, in the VIP area. Surely JVT's done so much to to boost the Boston brand that he never has to pay for a ticket again in his life. Wow, well, you know you say that, but when we when we spoke to him, he said he insisted. He insisted he would he would he would contribute to the future of Boston United. He wasn't going to get too big for his boots. Van Tam, very much the workhorse of the uh, of the <laughs> pandemic uh, team, I think. Whereas whereas Witty, I think I think it'd be too much. I think Whitty would be he'd be he'd be mobbed everywhere he went. I think if he was in the if he was in the mixer with all the with all the uh, the Boston fans. Yeah, well, I hope they I hope they continue to go together. At least. Was Valance there? No, it, it, it sort of said, "Don't let's not invite the boss." Let's not get the boss. <laughs> that's what it that's what it felt like. No Valance, no Valance. Shame. More of a rugby man, presumably. Um, speaking of which, Nick, some very confused mixed metaphors during the commentary for Wales versus Italy in the Six Nations. I think it's two or three clean breaks Italy have made as well, which they hadn't quite managed to finish off. But if they if they had done, then we were in serious trouble. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of words in at halftime. You know, 
I don't think there's any point in you know like Ferguson kicking kicking hair dryers at them and things like that yeah but there's certain things that need to be settled down and certain areas of the game that be really that need to be really tightened up to get this performance you know you can't just expect to turn up against any international side and, and have your own way yeah I think it was the hair dryer treatment wasn't it yeah kick teacups around the dressing room um, thanks gents for the moment we'll be back with you shortly some more thoughts the palpable need for the commentator to correct him at the end there I would have let it go I don't think it, I don't think there was really any need it was also it reminds me there, there was a um, I can't remember who it was but an Irish broadcaster talking about this with Eamon Dunphy and he said the hair dry treatment I think when David when uh, Alex Ferguson kicked the hair dry David Beckham was oh it? is this a common myth then is yeah, I, well uh, just a common misunderstanding I think and yeah. uh, is, he said oh is that right and Dunphy just said no the Mandela effect when it comes to Alex Ferguson's dressing room behaviour but I mean, yeah, I mean Teacups, a really oddly cited yeah, I, thing. What is it with the teacups, Dave? Throw you throw the teacups. Yeah, you throw them. Yeah, you don't kick the teacups. <laughs> yeah. what, what are the teacups doing on the floor? Mm. He kicked a boot at Beckham, didn't he? That was the famous thing. Yeah, but I, I do. Surely, Nick, when you when you get to a certain level of the football pyramid, I'm going to say National League down. I reckon it's polystyrene cups. And oh yeah, not, yeah. They're not going to cause any damage. Well, uh, uh, unless they're filled with scalding hot tea, in mm. which case... Oh, yeah, of course, I didn't think that. I always thought of the a, impact of the cup rather than the contents. Yeah, you, you're going to get yourself involved in a tribunal if you throw scalding yeah. hot tea at someone. Real roller coaster end to this because there was going to be a Keys and Grey corner. Then Charlie Eccleshare pulled out. Then it turned out Keys and Grey were on holiday. So, you know, Keys and Grey corner was in serious danger of rounding off this episode. But no, no, no. Cue jingle, please. <laughs> Keys and Grey <laughs> took the weekend off to play golf or something, Nick. So they, the studio was left with some guy, Didier Domi and Nicky Summerby. That was the studio lineup for uh, at least on Saturday. Uh, they got they got uh, Nigel de Jong in for Sunday when the Premier League sort of kicked in a little bit. But, um, but that doesn't deprive us of, of some Keys content, at least. This is from his latest blog, Hot Off The Press, as we record. His usual run through of the latest stories from the world of football, but... Then he got all very football cliches at the end because he said, please, let's stop this pathetic groveling and fawning to Pep. It's Guardiola. None of us know him well enough to refer to him by his first name. His team played lovely football, but he isn't, he isn't some kind of messiah. He's a football coach. His name is Guardiola. Enough of Pep, eh? It gets on my nerves. I mean, I'm kind of on board with this. It seems to be very odd that we refer to Guardiola as Pep. Uninvited, unsolicited. It's not a difficult name. What, why are we doing this? I think it's the um, maybe being particularly harsh to them singling out the Arsenal fanification of football. Uh, and to be fair, Tottenham fans have taken on this mantle mm. as well of referring to their players as if they went to school with them, kind of thing. You know, Toby. Toby. Yeah. Toby. Yeah. There you go. But it, it, I don't know. It, it, it is. It is weird. But it also. It kind of. I think it still works because there aren't really any any other. There aren't many other peps in the game. Plotet, so maybe, anyone else? Is that enough of a mitigating circumstances, Dave? You know, there aren't any other Peps, so he's the Pep, so we can call him Pep. I think sort of just his status, he's, he is so rarefied and sort of held upon this pedestal. If he was playing in the modern era, he may have Pep on the back of his shirt. Yeah. Rather yeah. than Guardiola. Yeah. It's sort of that sort of thing, isn't it? It's also... 
and, and this might be the, one of the roots of uh, Keyes' objections, but it's quite an American thing as well. You will hear LeBron referred to rather than LeBron mm, James that's all true. the time and, and so on. So Makes um, it more personal, maybe. Bit, we, yeah. we feel like we own them a bit more. But it's, if we call um, them by their first name, yeah, a little bit, and it's quite a nice thing. It's quite a nice thing to say as well, isn't it, Pep? Like, yeah, that it's definitely got that going for it. I yeah. think it's definitely a you know a it's a nice thing to say out loud. It's nicknamey. Um, is it, well, he's a nickname. Literally, you know, it's not his his name. And this is weird when you hear when very, mm. very, very occasionally you'll hear someone go for the full. <laughs> I haven't heard it for years. <laughs> I've heard someone. Heard I can't remember who it was. And uh, if, I'm do, if I'm doing him a disservice, then I I sincerely apologise. But I think it might have been Trevor Sinclair. But I, I heard someone on Talksport in the last few weeks call him Joseph Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Makes him sound like well, an architect. It also, and this, I'm happy to be corrected on this because it might just be my memory playing tricks on me, but I think he was, when he was a player, he was Josep, but became Pep when he became a coach. I think I, so. I, 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 I mean, I'll throw this out to the listeners to, to give me feedback mm. on this, but I'm sure that was the case. Mm. It's not when Matty's become Matt's. As soon mm. as they stick a tie on and become a manager. But no, um, worrying worrying scenes as we sort of half agree with Richard Keyes. I feel like that's gonna be, that would be one of his Mezzahala dicks, wouldn't it, Dave? We, we know now. That's, that's it, locked. God, what a list that would be, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, Nick, thanks to you. Can I call you Nick? Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Good. We never officially established if you were a Dave. But Dave, thanks very much to you too. Thank you. And thanks to you, listeners. Thanks, Ad. Cheers. See you later. It's the shadow way. The Athletic.